Matthew 13 is a long passage of a whole lot of parables that we're, par- we're going to jump into over the next uh, forever. Um, but specifically these next three weeks. One of them, I'm just going to jump down here to this one, so this is like going to be all out of order. But this is the one that speaks, speaks to where we're at right here. In verse 44, it says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a treasure hidden in a field, in which when a man found it, he hid it for the joy, and he went and sold all that he had to buy the field. Okay, cool. How about verse 45? He said, Again, the kingdom of life is like a merchant man who seeks the good pearls. And that good pearls there means like an extremely valuable, rare thing. Like almost it's like one of a kind. There's only one of them. Then who found that one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had to obtain the one. Anybody seen a theme yet? Just, just real quick. Has anybody seen it? It's like, oh, it's almost like a vessel that's full of something until the other thing completely goes away. It's one thing, singular. If we back up a little bit, let's just look at verse 33. Verse 33 right here, he says, And he said to them another problem, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid three measures of meal until the whole was leaven. Now, just real quick, we don't use the word leaven. Who loves some good golden chick chicken express yeast rolls? You know, good, good dinner yeast rolls. Leaven is yeast. Now, those first two that I just read to you were quite simple. You want to obtain the one thing, get rid of everything. All the other 50 examples I just gave you in Rant and Raven that I did, what did I say? You want the one thing, focus on the one thing, get rid of all the rest. Get rid of all the rest. Now, some of you are mine right now, and this is not because I can read thoughts, but it's because I'm just as dumb as you. We're all right here together. In our head, we ration and reason, well, everything. Well, like, I can't uh, quit my job tomorrow. And God's probably not asking you to do that. The odds of that are slim to none. Because you know, some one of them, he said, a merchant man. Y'all know what a merchant man does? He works. So quit using Christianity as a lazy excuse. Get to work, physically and spiritually. Oh, I just heard someone else. Well, does that mean that I'm not a Christian if I don't work a job? Shut up. <laughs> do the work that God's asked you to do. Some of your head are thinking, well, because I got to work. My mind's not on God. Incorrect. You can equally do your job and actually, by doing your job, be giving glory to God. Did you not know that? Yes. So let's, let me explain this to you. This was an understanding in the Old Testament, a very, very, very important understanding, and it's this one phrase. Everything you do, do it as unto God. Which means anything I go and sit down to do, I'm going to do it as if God is the one that benefits from the work. Everything I do. And so then, by doing my job, let's just use a really simple one. By doing my job, 
This, this hits me hard too, okay? I'm right here with you. Tell the truth. Shame the devil. Who cuts some corners sometimes because he's trying to hurry up and get out of work? Can, can we get, get real with it for a second? I work in technology, which means no one knows what I do. I can just say like five words and confuse people, and they're like, well, I'll just, yeah, you do your thing, man. And because people don't know that, I can use that as excuses and have. Just be like, ah, it's Wednesday. Or it's Friday, and i got to get home, so you know what? I just cannot figure this out. And knowing in my heart, I need you to hear this spiritually. I'm using a natural example. Knowing in my heart, if I'd given it full effort for another hour or two, I could completely resolve this. But I'm not doing it under God. I'm not really even doing it for the customer. I'm just doing it because bills got to be paid. (laughs) And so I remove any opportunity I have. I hope y'all hearing this. To shed my light on the subject, which would be God's spirit within me, and to illustrate to this individual the very nature of God, the very nature of Christ, to give everything I have in that moment. And that, think about this. Who writes emails, types on a computer during the day? Could you imagine thinking in a manner that as you're sending this email to a ticked-off customer or you're corresponding about this project and this and whatever it is that you do, that every stroke you're making, you are saying, God, I am doing this, this email, this thing, as if I'm doing it for you, as if it's the same thing as me standing in this sanctuary, lifting my heads and sing- hands and singing it. I am literally, God, this email is for you. <laughs> now, I know some of you are like, that's just weird and God doesn't care about that. He doesn't care about the It's the heart motive. And this is the idea is to say every single thing that we do. And this is how we get rid of all the rest. This is how we obtain the treasure. You notice it didn't say that they had to go work really hard to get the treasure. It just said all they had to do was get rid of what they had to obtain the one thing. That's not that difficult, right? If I right now took this and said, Sharon... Do you want a brand new iPad? All you got to do is give me whatever that is in your hand. Chapstick. I don't, I'm not going to use someone else's chapstick, you sicko. <laughs> Napoleon Dynamite, anybody? Okay. But yeah, you, you, give me the chapstick. You can have the iPad. What, what does it take? Do you not have to work? You cannot have my iPad. <laughs> now, again, that's a simple, basic example, but that is exactly what the Spirit of God is asking. He's saying, all you got to do is get rid of what's in your hand. But we are white-knuckle grabbing onto it and saying, do you know how precious this is to me? And he says, I got something far more precious and valuable. But, but, but see, Jesus says it all the time. He says, but you don't perceive it. You don't get it. You don't understand it. You're looking at it all the wrong way because you think it's this religion thing or you think it's this thing. You think it's this or you think it's this. He's like, you're missing it. And, and do you notice something else? This is very interesting. Do you notice the first one where it says the man was in a field and he found a treasure, which means the treasure was already there. See, y'all don't catch that in that parable, did you? You're like, he went and found a treasure, went and bought some property. Y'all thinking Pirates of the Caribbean. And it's the treasure was in the field. Okay. Imagine you're walking through that field right there. And you find, I was going to say one million dollars, but that doesn't... 
in this day and age, well, we need a couple trillion, billion, whatever. Think of a number. Dollars. Whatever it is. And just because I happen to know, they want $850,000 for that piece of property. <laughs> but there's trillions, millions, billions, gajillions, whatever, in there, setting there. So all we got to do is get it. Y'all ready? Let's all go sell our houses and get that. Don't, we're not literally, we're not doing some kind of weird commune living thing. That's not what I'm referring to here. What is it? You go, you get rid of everything else, and people look at you like, you are bonkers. You're a lunatic. And then you go buy this rando piece of property. Oh, y'all listen to this. And you take it, what does he do? He buries it. Oh, we're supposed to shine our light. He buries it before he buys it, puts it down in there, and that way when he obtains it, it's already there. Mm. And you're like, okay. Treasure hunting's pretty cool. The field is representative of your heart and your life. After all, you were made from dust. That's the example. This field is your heart, is your life. And in that heart, it's almost like Scripture tells us that I've, God put his spirit there. It says that in Genesis. It says that in Psalms. It says that all over. The spirit's already in there. It's already there. And so when you finally grasp that one concept that it's already in there, then you can start burying it. It's almost like David says it. Thy word have I hid in my heart so I might not. Uh-oh, here's a big bad word. It's. See, it's all about the Ten Commandments. Hush. The word sin means to be without a share in or to miss the mark. So meaning, in my life, I see that thing there, and I'm going to make sure it's in there. That nothing can grab it. No one driving down the road be like, did you just see what I just saw? And everybody's stopping on 342, and it just looks like just chaos. You know, it looks like, I don't know, like the walking dead. People are just like, ah, and grabbing money. No, it's like, I'm going to put it down in there, not so I can hide it from others, but to make sure it's in there to where when I obtain it, it comes right back out. We just read a scripture that out of the heart, the mouth speaks. See, my mind's going nine to nothing, and I'm trying to assist you guys a little bit because some of y'all are just like, okay, he'll finish with this rant in a minute. You're not getting it. <laughs> See, what man tries to tell you you must do to obtain it is fix your mouth. And God says just start putting it in there, and the mouth will correct itself. Man will tell you, fix this action, and God will say, well, you just look at me for a minute, and you'll just won't, you'll stop doing that action. I will, pumpkin. <laughs> Listen, Linda. Can I just be straight with you guys? I can only use my stories. If I knew yours, I would gladly share them. I was deadbeat tired this morning. <laughs> I am not in my 20s anymore. And I was like, all right, I got my, my studying together, which apparently was... <laughs> 
no reason. <laughs> I, I hit it in my heart for next week. <laughs> but I did it on my Sunday. I was like, all right, I'm going to wake up at 5 a.m., kind of refresh my mind and my heart and get enough coffee in my system because I just know in the natural I'm going to be exhausted. And I didn't. <laughs> I woke up at 7.30. I said, honey, it's 7.30. we got to be at the church at 8 o'clock. <laughs> And we're rushing and everything else, and we're getting there. And see, I could have said, you felt you didn't do the actions. You didn't have the focus right. And if I tried to fix my physical self and all the things that I did, I will keep messing it up. And then what am I doing? I'm just looking right here. <laughs> well, what about that thing? And it's, it looks darker than here. What about that thing? What about that thing? What about that thing? And all it takes is right here. And I can attest to this. Now, again, do not take this as arrogance. I'm not saying that. But I've had a peculiar thing that has happened to me over the last three years or so. And I had this conversation with Steph a lot of times, my wife, and others that are around is like, I call it Sunday hangover. But it's, now again, this is, I got to correct so much. Can we just... James, bring your tiller. We need to till some ground. We need to get rid of all this crap. So let me correct this real quick. I'm going to try to find the right words here. This is not to be arrogant. But I found this interesting. This is my calling. So do not think when I say this, Jared's like, well, I guess we better be at church because that's where these things happen. No. God asked me to deal with you. And I love it. You guys, we go deal with it out there. Okay, so I'm only using the example for me. All right? And when I come in here, and whether it be through song, whether it be through teaching, it's like, guys, my legs hurt. Well, they did. Like, right now, they don't. Like, literally. And in these moments, it's just like, when I'm looking and I'm thinking about so much, it's like, I'm not tired anymore. I'm not this anymore. Everybody asks me, where's all that energy come from? I have no, well, I do know, actually. But I have no clue in the natural where it comes from. And as soon as it's over, as soon as I take my eye off of it, I just go, movie. Again, now again, if you're like, oh, so don't watch movies. Stop it. It's to illustrate in full view of that, you let go of everything else. And so if we find ourselves struggling to let go of things, then we know we need to get further view of God. Now y'all are all thinking things. Let's just hit home with it. If you are finding yourself holding on to thought processes that, that are not of God, if you find yourself not looking at it and saying, correct the action, just looking at it and say, ah, I do see where I'm standing. And... This is no bueno por nada. Let's go over here. Don't get that twisted. See, it's a very, very close thing, right? You can say, if I find myself here, and then you start looking and say, I got to fix this action. No, if I find myself here, it's the fruit. It's the representation to show me where I'm at and to show me I need to go closer to God with it. I need to say that again. I know it's simple, but it's just not quite registered in your very thick skulls. Not if I find myself here, oh no, it's so wrong and it's so dark and it's so horrible and I'm so bad and I'm going to fix it. No. 
You're Wreck-It Ralph, not Fix-It Felix. You're just going to make it worse. Get view of God. And then he takes you and leads you out of it. Every scripture in the Old Testament, the children of Israel did not rebel against Egypt. God led them out of it. But the only way is if they kept view. Fire by day, cloud by night. If you haven't heard the story, watch a cartoon or something about it. I don't know. It's like everything is trying to get us to understand this one thing. So if we find ourselves holding on to a thought process, don't try to fix the thought process. Find the solution that ends up fixing the thought process, which I just told you over the last give or take 20 minutes. How about this one? If you find yourself holding on to emotional hearts and things, and you keep finding those things, and you say, well, this is it. How do I protect myself? Wrong. You don't. But God does. You say, well, how does that work? I don't know. But I do know it works. You know, I I don't have to know. I am not a mechanic. I don't have to know how my car works, but I can go and push the button. It comes on. I can know, hey, this gas pedal makes it go, and teaching my son how to drive right now, and that's the stop, that's the stop, that's the stop, right? This is this. I know lots of little things about it, but I can't tell you all the nuances of what happens in it. Now, the more I've talked to other people who do, and the more I've thought about it and looked at it, the more I understand. This is the Spirit of God. We try to approach it like now. Could you imagine? Before you had to drive a car, they're like, here's the manual of the car you're going to drive. And you need to know every piece, every puzzle, everything about it. And you know how it all works. No. Now, don't also use that excuse as laziness to say, I ain't got to understand how it works. Just woo, faith. No, but see, <laughs> I'm, I'm using examples that I haven't. See, I need to know more about a car because I don't want my wife to get stranded somewhere and I can't help her. Now, that's my thought. If you don't have that, cool. Call AAA or whatever else. But see, don't take it as laziness to say, I don't have to understand the thing. Just, woo, I got it. No, that is a selfish gospel. The true gospel liberates you and you say, no, I, gotta, I, I want to understand because I want to know who you are, God. And, that, and then, oh, look, he, he's going to shine the light on someone else in the dark and say, hey, and, mm, when I arrive, the very kingdom of God should arrive with me. This is what it means to say, lift up your head, O ye gates. I am the access point. And most of us are the gates of hell. If you don't know that, by the way, it says the gates of hell will not prevail. Those are access points. Hell means death, chaos, and destruction. Most of us are actively purveying access to the kingdom of hell. <laughs> and y'all are like, oh, hell, eternity. No, like death, chaos, and destruction, the opposite of God. There's no distinction. God says, here's me. Everything else is there. I don't care. You may put it way on that side of the path, but it is on the other side of the path. It is my enemy. It is the access point to death, chaos, and destruction instead of being the access point to the kingdom of God. When I show up to a situation, I should have been so focused on God that the very words that I begin to speak begin to liberate, begin to set people free, not begin to put people in more bondage. This is what it means to be Christ-like because everywhere he went, that's what happened. And so that's why we built all this. It's just to get this one thing. Am I excited enough for you? <laughs> I just realized I went on a rant and I probably sounded a lot like my dad. <laughs> Is that a, an insult or a compliment? <laughs> this is what it means 
It's so simple. It's, 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 it's hard to put in action. And scripture shows us this. Now let me tell you a little bit of something about leaven real quick. Yeast. So yeast is actually like a little microscopic thingamajigger. I don't know how that works either. Brandy, can you help me out with that? <laughs> it's, a, it's a little microscopic thingamajigger. And when it gets put in to the bread, what does it do? Watch the greatest British baking show. They talk about yeast and stuff all the time. And I'm wondering why my wife's watching. I was like, you ain't never made any of that stuff. I'm just saying. <laughs> She's not in here, so I can say it. <laughs> No, why? They're always about yeast. Why? you got to get the right amount and all this kind of stuff. And if you read that story, what I just said, it says three measures full. And that's a lot. That's a lot. Like a whole, whole lot. Like way more than we would do. But what happens actually when you bake yeast into something? I do know this part of it. It actually begins to take form in the whole thing. And it grows from the inside out. Not from the outside in. From the inside out. And it begins to grow the whole thing. Anybody seeing a similarity to this idea of planting and seeds and fields? Inside, out, spirit in me, not outside. Actions, outside, heart, inside. Need I say more? Can I get you? I'm going to give you one more. Oh, it's almost stepped on my iPad. Then you could have it. (laughs) Real quick, where is it at? Uh, Oh, it's right here. It's in verse 31. We'll back up a little bit more. Jesus says, hey, the kingdom of God is like, it's similar to, it's kind of how it works. Look at this thing in the natural that you see every single day, and you'll understand a little bit about the spirit. A grain of mustard seed. Now, we did a little thing here not too long ago where they gave us mustard seeds, and I was like, is this the breadcrumb? Like, what is this? I've never actually seen one in all my years. It was so tiny. But when it's grown, it's the greatest among all the herbs, and it becomes a tree. Now, one of the things you guys need to know (laughs) is mustard seeds don't grow into a gigantic tree. It just grows into a little herb. So isn't that odd? I've even heard people say it this way. I've even heard people say, they're no mustard seed because they get huge. No, they don't. <laughs> they go a long way, though. It becomes a tree so that the birds of the air can come and lodge in the branches. Have you ever seen a full-grown mustard seed thingy? Last time I checked, I don't think a bird could even land on that. This is a metaphor. It's not about an actual mustard seed. He's not teaching us horticulture, and he's not teaching us how to, you know, a cookery class to be able to sprinkle. That's not, you know, that's not what he's doing here. He's trying to get you to understand the, 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 the status of your heart. He's trying to get you to understand his spirit and just say, I will use every means necessary. I'll use every, every parable, every example I can use. And he uses this one, and he throws a little bit in there for us to kind of help us understand this idea. When it's grown, when it's matured, when it's taken root and it was in there and it's set there and it begins to sprout up. When it grows, then it becomes something great and it becomes a tree. Now, the idea of a tree 
is something that's constant, consistent. It also means something that has authority. That's the idea of a tree throughout all of Scripture. There's lots of examples given of that, of this metaphor of a tree. And they say, this tree. And it means authority, something constant, consistent. So when the seed takes root, it has authority in your life now. Not you. It does. And when it does, look at this. The birds of the air come and lodge in it. When the Spirit takes root and it grows, God becomes the authority in the matters. And you begin just to say and do it because you just got view of him. And then moreover than that, because you're doing that, it grows to a point in which the birds of the air. Who are the birds of the air? All the people. All of the people. Showing that the faith that you have that's grown is not even for you. It's to do exactly what Christ did, which was say, I will bear each other's burdens. I, because I can do it in his strength, not mine. I can't do it. I can't even bear my own burdens. But when the Spirit of God becomes the authority, it becomes the strength, and I stay constant and consistent there, then all of the people can come and lodge, meaning they can nest in it. They can see it and understand it and perceive it through you. This is what it means to let it take hold of us. This is exactly what Christ, Christ did. He came. He showed us what it means to have it buried inside of us. He grew it and showed it to us and said, now all of you can come and, and quite literally hung on a tree to help ex exemplify that even further. And he said, now all of you can put that weight on me and you can be my branches and then you branches be branches and you branches be branches. But we read some other ones that said, if the branch is not producing the fruit... It's got to be cut off and got to be lobbed off because we need it to produce fruit because that begins. And see, a lot of you think, oh, you're going to be cut off. No, it means all the things within you that are dead. Come on, every year, don't we do it? You don't see one bad branch on a tree and cut the whole thing down. What do you do? You go find the one branch and say, this is not being productive. I'll get rid of that. This is the work that the Spirit of God wants to do in us daily, every time. Just like that vessel that we talked about at the beginning. He says, I'm just going to keep filling. As long as you let me, you don't cap it. I can keep filling. To where the fruit that is in you is the same fruit that is in me. So much to the point, I'm, I'm, I am dead serious about this. This is the goal. So much to the point that people can't distinguish you from Christ. Y'all are aware that is the goal. Let me just help you real quick. Your goal is not to get to heaven. Your goal is to be the hands and feet of Christ. Okay? Let me help you with a little quick theology. Jesus' body does not exist anymore. It's not here anymore. It's not one body anymore. We are giving, like, a, I don't know, like a couple hundred easy Scriptures in total, in multiple locations that say, what do we even call ourselves? You are the body of Christ. What does that mean? It means his spirit ain't doing anything on this earth unless you do it. 
You are supposed to be the one that is the hands and feet, that does the work that he does, that goes the places that he goes, that is the access point the way he was the access point. So much to the fact that the very spirit... If y'all don't know, I'm quoting scripture right now. The very spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you. Amen. Oh, I'm just going to do it, Ryan. I am because you know what? If you're lost, like if, if you're lost, be found. And if you're tired, go home. But I'm going to say this. This is something that is amazing. Let me help you out. Who's ever wondered why Jesus rose again? Don't lie. No one ever wondered that? Has anybody ever wondered if he actually did? Everybody raise your hand. Okay. <laughs> Y'all are not participating. If you are a bad branch, I will lob you off. I'm just kidding. What is the purpose of the resurrection? First that which is natural, then that which is spiritual. This is what Scripture tells us. First that which is natural, then that which is spiritual. So if we see Jesus, yes, I get it. He died for your sins and all that, and we're going to get to all of that. That comes much, much later. The first thing you must understand is the concept of what he even came to do. Not to save your tail from hell so you can hurry up and go to heaven, so that you can live the way that he lived. That is the whole purpose, bringing his kingdom here. So this earth looks like heaven. His domain is here. That's the goal. That's the purpose. That's why we do it. And so he died, and when he rose again in the physical form, the illustration, the whole purpose of that was to say that was the physical one. Now your spirit is resurrected. Now you can know his spirit the same way. That was what the resurrection was for. And all of y'all are like, he raised from the dead because it was something no one else could do. And that's why. And so we believe in the power of God because he can raise someone from the dead. I'm sorry. That's like... That's a weak power if that's the only reason God is powerful to you. And you're like, what? God is God whether anybody was ever raised from the dead or not. Now, I said this last week, and I got a lot of, you know, cockeyed, crazy looks. If you remove the idea of heaven, if you remove the idea of eternity altogether, if you remove the idea of the fact that Jesus raised, if you remove it all, God doesn't change either way. And when I get that view, then I look at everything he's done. I'm like, wow. And now I can say, oh, my God, not your God, not that, because I know him. And I look at what he's done. Look at how he's done. And see, we try to approach it the wrong way, outside in. Believe all these facts, Anna. You see it? It's a pretty pink Bible. <laughs> it says it right there. You better believe it. That's outside in. That is trying to show you evidence of something. Does it work for some? Sure, sure, sure. But we try to say, just believe it. Why? And they say, why do you believe it? I don't know. Because like, it says so. <laughs> we try to use this as evidence, and you're supposed to be the evidence. We try to pawn it off on something else. And, 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 God said, and Christ even said, you're supposed to be the evidence that my spirit is alive in this world. Stop trying to point to other things because when they see that and they know that, they say, where do I get more? And then we say, well, we've got all kinds of things. We've got music that expresses it. We've got prayer that expresses it. We've got scripture that expresses it. Look at creation itself. Look at the trees. And everything becomes this idea. But when we approach it from the other side, we'll never get it. We don't get it, so how are they going to get it? My voice gets really high pitched. The more I get. Simple. And I assume since you're all sitting here, for the most part, we're a part of the, the, the church, meaning people who are professing. 
Which means, guys, the church has abandoned the true gospel message too much. We have went to high points of theology, which means like just all of the inner workings of it. We've went to things that's called eschatology, which means the end time stuff. And we're, we're looking all over here and we've abandoned the original gospel message that Jesus came. And it's because we teach a lot about Jesus, but we don't know what Jesus taught. And that's why we're diving into all this so we can see the simple breath of everything that he said through the person of Jesus with the spirit of God. And he says, now that's in you. It's in you. Can you grow it? Can you keep it? Can you stay consistent with it? Can you bring my kingdom here? And the church has to move back to the gospel. When I say gospel, do not think, run around and say, believe in your heart, confess your without Jesus raised from the dead. Do you believe that? Yes, you do. Okay, cool. That's Wizard of Oz. Click your heels three times. Go home. Is that a portion of it? Sure. Not to be discounted. But get back to the original message that was taught. And I shared this with Sharon, and I'm going to, sharing with Sharon. I'm going to say it again because this was just something that, wow. And I'm speaking to you as the body of believers right now. We look in the book of Acts. I just talked about it in chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, so on and so forth. And every time it says that the gospel is brought, the good news, good news of what? That Jesus put us back in direct relationship. That is the good news. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. You can partake of it. That's the good news. How did it happen is the person of Christ. That's the good news. And in, the, in, the, in Acts, which is all the Acts of the Apostles in history, this is a historical document. It's not contested. You want to sit in a real chair? That's cool. <laughs> it's not contested, the historicity of this document, just so you all know. Whether you want to say, well, it's in the Bible. I don't believe it. I don't care. That's a historical document. There are events in there that line up with the events in the Romans and events all over. This is a re- legitimate historical document. Now, whether or not you believe the spiritual side of it, that's a different conversation. But... It, Literally, radically, the world shifts and changes. The entire world, mind you, shifts and changes in a very short period of time in the human history. And in the book of Acts, in chapter 3, chapter 4, so on and so forth, you see it says the gospel was preached. They were all filled with the Spirit. And it says that thousands, now again, it's not a numbers game, don't you think? Oh, big, bigger building. It's crap. Stop it. Stop it. But the Spirit of God began to speak to people and lives were changed. And then they went and then changed and changed. And, but here, what do we see? Put this on for size for a minute. Put this in your spiritual pipe and smoke it. Just sit on this for a minute. When we preach the gospel, we see the exact opposite happen. We see more people are leaving the church, not physically, but in faith. More people disbelieve, more people. So what's the problem? People are people. They're the same back then as they were now. We have abandoned the true gospel message. We have stopped teaching it and we've moved on thinking that we're so grown up we don't need it. Think because when I was a kid I sang, yes, Jesus loves me, so I get it. And that just resonated in my core. I hadn't quite heard it or seen it that way. And I woke up this morning. I'm not even kidding. That was this morning. As I was reading, I was like, what is the difference? And I began to read this entire chapter of Matthew 13, which we're going to go in the next two to three weeks. We're going to go through Matthew 13. And it was illustrated we have moved on, and we need to go back. In our own hearts and lives, go back. 
And when we do that as individuals, it will do this in the body. And when it does it in the body, then it goes into the streets. Now, when I say the body, I don't mean it does it here on a Sunday. I mean, and you as an individual, and then as a collective, wherever we are. Spirit of God knows no bounds, knows no creeds, knows no genders, knows no nothing, knows anything. It just knows its opposition, and it says, this is me. No physical bounds for that. And so, I want to end with these two thoughts. One is, if this bores you and you think you got it, don't plan on coming back here ever. <laughs> and if it does, let it be a heart check to say, then I must not get it. I hate having to use myself in the example sometimes. Again, I'm right here with you, so don't take it this way. But if you think you got it, I don't want to say it this way, but I'm going to. If you think you got it and you've moved on from it, I study the word way more than you. I guarantee you I do. Like I, could, like I, would, put, I would put everything on the line to lose it all to gain the one thing. Guarantee you I, would, I do. That's not saying, ooh, look at me. That's saying, it doesn't bore me. It should not bore you. And if that is not the example, that means you ain't got it yet. If in prayer it bores you to say, God, I want to know you because, oh, I want something else to say. I ain't got that yet. And when I, you, you want to know how I know? Because I don't have full view of God. I just know there's a whole lot more. And when I just keep focusing on that, I can't stop it. And that's, how, that's the heart check. So if we get bored with this. Now, again, just because some of you guys, America, y'all are going to like jump way off and be like, he said we're not talking anything else about this. I didn't say we're not going to discuss other things because those other things point us back to this. But there is no reason in heaven or earth that when we discuss something within Scripture, if we get to a different point than the gospel message, we have missed the point of it. So I say that.